Hello, lovelies. Welcome to the Fat Joy Podcast, where we talk each week about how to flourish in an anti-fat world. I'm Sophia Apostle, a fat person and professional coach who loves talking to other fat people about what it's like to live within oppressive systems that marginalize our bodies and how we still dare to have the audacity and courage to reach towards our collective liberation and embrace our joy. Please know this is an adult content podcast, so there will be swears. We will be talking about harms we've experienced, and we will be rebelling against diet culture, anti-fatness, ableism, racism, etc. If you'd like to support the Fat Joy podcast, please check us out at patreon.com slash fatjoy. Oh, and I'm so glad you're here with us. Enjoy. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Fat Joy podcast. I'm here with Vivian McMaster. Hi, Vivian. How are you doing? I'm great. (laughs) So I know you from Instagram, which I think is where I know everybody from now, uh, because your photos and the work that you're doing as a photographer with um with people with respect to body acceptance is so, so beautiful. And I was so happy that you agreed to chat. So welcome. And I've, I'm a fan of the podcast too. I was like, Oh my God, I love this podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Um, well, why don't you start by telling us a little bit about yourself? What's the, what's your role in this world? Mm. When I started doing this work, I was like, whoa, I think this is why I'm here, (laughs) which is a cool feeling to find. Um, And I'm a photographer and I'm newly a trauma-informed coach as well. (laughs) So entering the coach land and I'm a body trust provider. And what that means to me is um, I help people through those tools um, to find their way into uh, more compassionate, connected, accepting relationship with uh, how they feel about the person looking back at them in photos. And I find in uh, the world of acceptance and um, fat acceptance, it, it's often the last thing we we leave it till the very end. <laughs> oh, photos. Okay, I'll, I'll get there someday. First, I'm going to explore food and movement and and reject diet culture. And then I feel like it's this missing piece. Um, that people kind of avoid (laughs) until they're fairly deep into their healing path. And I came to do this work because I, not because I thought it would be a cool job, (laughs) not because uh, I had any sense of where it was going to go, but because I had a deeply critical relationship with my body and I didn't really know how to shift that and it so happened that I got a flip phone (laughs) I'm gonna date myself but uh, that was the beginning was like a phone with a camera what um and that quickly turned to a little point and shoot and then it turned to a big DSLR and then the era of cell phones came around but um I found that the lens gave me a medium to explore my relationship with my body that I didn't expect because we often think photos are um, a place where they're, where we think of it as a product. But what I found was uh, the person looking back at me in the photos, I could engage in a conversation with. I could be like, I can't see you the way I want to see you. I'm just mm. feeling critical about you today. It became this like medium where I could be in conversation with my body healing process and myself. And in the same, <laughs> at the same time, I f- felt creatively inspired and um, felt a lot of that joy <laughs> um, as I started to see my body through the lens. And um, I think a lot of us are missing the visuals of that joy in our life, whether it's like, you know, being on a beach and like stretching our arms wide and or um yes. you know being with the people in our lives like there's a lot of ourselves missing from the visual story of our life and um when we only think of photos as like something to produce for Instagram it really mm. ruins it <laughs> oh. uh, 
Yeah. Oh my gosh. There's like three things already you've said that have blown <laughs> my mind. I never thought about photos being the last piece of that. Let's just say body acceptance journey. Uh-huh. You're so right. Like I don't, I, I think it's a piece that's still missing for me. I've never really thought about it in that way before. And the fact that a fo- like photos of ourselves can be conversation points and connection points for us with ourselves yeah. You're, that has been totally taken away by like the Instagram kind of way of thinking about photos. Certainly for me. Wow. Oh, I love. Oh, my God. I'm, this is so interesting. I'm so excited to dive in. Um, I want to start first, though, with um, your relationship to the word fad. Tell me. Tell me how that is for you. You know, I was thinking about this because it is a question you ask in all the podcasts. And I, I was thinking about 20-ish year old Vivian. Um, it was the 90s, I guess, somewhere in the late 90s. And uh, I, I was luck, so lucky at that age to be a part of beautiful queer community. And the 90s were pretty rad uh, in terms of that. And I remember just like, because I think sometimes those elements of culture are way ahead of the rest of the general population on things like fat acceptance. So I remember that just being a very um, regular thing. Like I just remember seeing people around me um, embracing their fatness and it was, and they were fabulous and sensual and sexy. And I remember just like feeling really empowered by the word fat at that age. Wow. That's a gift. <laughs> That's a gift. Yeah. And I, I was also lucky in terms of growing up. My mom refused to have scales. Like I don't think she was the analysis that I do around it, but she was just like, I have two girls. And then she had a son later too. That like, I'm not going to have no scales. <laughs> oh. So not that they were, my parents were diet culture rebels at all. It's probably infused more than they think. (laughs) But um, I do feel like by the time I got into that stage of being like 20-something queer, finding herself, herself. Mm -hmm. I like the plural, finding myself. (laughs) I actually really enjoyed that. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Finding yourselves. Yeah, it felt really, that was my first kind of, yeah, my first introduction to fat acceptance. Yeah. Um, and it felt radical. I don't know if I used the word for myself at that age. Probably. Yeah. But that feels like my roots. Yeah. Of embracing the word fat, which does feel like a blessing having, yeah. you know, not only heard that term, but like saw, I feel like I got to see it in action. Uh, see people who really were embodying it and um, yeah yeah it was a very cool time so since then I think it's just it's been a more learning and discovering more of the history of that acceptance and discovering the health at every size movement and the elements of that have developed to where I am in my relationship to it now which is a very positive word yeah I feel like I've I'm Growing up, I was kind of that small fat type. So I, I, I don't feel like I had it used against me. I feel like I'm privileged in that way that I don't have a lot of, I, I don't have experiences of people screaming it from the car mm. at me on the street. Um, so I'm grateful. Um, so it feels like a very empowered word to me. Yeah. Though I know it's been used against people a lot more than, than in my experience. Yeah, yeah. I, I love the word fat. I think yeah. I, I sure did go through the like curvy, gonna use the word curvy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, go through those kind of the stages of like working. Yeah. I think we often work our language towards the word fat. I yeah. think I still actually have some, some, ex- some expanding to do on that now that I think about it. Um, in mm-hmm. terms of, I use it a lot in the way I talk about myself and um, use it as an empowering word, but. Uh, yeah, I 
I think I still worry that it's going to scare people sometimes. Yeah, it is. It does still, it does scare people. It really does. Yeah. Yeah. I think I have, um, oh, probably in the way back time machine or whatever Google, the, the Google archive thing is called. Uh, my website used to be Curvalicious Ladies. And it's so embarrassing now. I'm like, what was I thinking? 2014, Sophia, what were you thinking? Yes. Um, <laughs> but it sounds like also when you were kind of, when you were beginning to experiment with using photography as a way of being in conversation with your body mm -hmm. in a more compassionate, kinder way, were you a little further away from body acceptance at that point within yourself? And the photos, you kind of, there, it seems like there was almost a realization that, oh, I can use photography to to inquire within myself a little bit further here. Was that in the twenties? Was that a little bit later in your well, life? Um, the twenties are rough. <laughs> <laughs> I think twenties just felt like this big whirlwind of, uh, I don't know, trying to figure out who you are. <laughs> yeah. It yeah. was, um, in the thirties when this began and I'm 45 now. So yeah. it yeah. has been the last 15 years. Um, and I started taking photos in that way i didn't i more it was i was actually emerging from a depression or a funk or a saturn return it was something but um it was six months of crying was what it was oh. <laughs> you know <laughs> and so that's a piece of it too where i was i was like who am i yeah i i clearly cannot live the way that i have been living i'm yeah i remember a you know a moment in that era where i was like i am not going to get to the end of my life and care at all about what my weight was at various times like I, that's mm -hmm. that has so little priority but I am going to I could see myself being at the end of my life and regretting the way I talk to myself and regretting the way I treat myself so that needs to change yeah so it was kind of that epiphany and finding yeah figuring out who am I without yeah. that self-hate who am I without without these kind of critical voices. And what I found was kind of cool, and I know it's not experience for everybody, but I think it has the potential to be. I remember, especially when I started putting the camera down and taking photos where I could move my body, when you can put down your camera and set the timer and like figure out how, how do I want to move? How, especially not posing, like how do I yeah. want to move? And that felt like a really, a point of discovery and of body reclamation was like wow. seeing your body, like your arms without the cardigan on and like moving, moving uh, your way, you kind of figure it felt like an embodied practice oh. and uh, actually physically seeing my whole body yeah, um, was a pivotal point. And it really, I remember that being a time and that's really what I do is put down the camera, step into the frame these days the odd mm -hmm. arm's length selfie, but um, it's so powerful to see see your body. And then you, what happens is you get to know what your body looks like. <laughs> you get to see it from different angles, which can be challenging, of course. It is often. Yeah. But it retrains our brain to start to <laughs> actually know what we are going to see in a photo. Yeah. You know, sometimes I think especially in that time, like I would expect to see somebody without a belly. Well, she's not going to be there. <laughs> I've always had a belly. And so if somehow we have in our head, like ourselves from this certain age is mm -hmm. unconsciously what we think we're going to see in the photo. Well, of course we're going to struggle if we don't see that there. So the more you can see diverse bodies on your Instagram feed, but also the more you can see your own body yeah. in photos from various angles, like it's yeah. whether or not you react to it, the actual act of seeing your body is so healing and it just helps you know what to expect to see. <laughs> and that lessens the reaction. Yeah. That's so brilliant. I'm again, I'm like, I have never done that. How have I never yeah, set the timer on my phone and backed away. I, I imagine I must be able to on my iPhone, but I've never actually tried it. And it's so interesting you're bringing it up for me. So I was at a wedding of a friend's wedding on the weekend and just thinking about what you're saying about the posing and nothing about the pose 
posing for photos situation is natural. In fact, I was I went with um, one of my friends as we were each other's dates and we had another friend take a photo of us and we were just standing pretty naturally and she directed us. She goes, no, foot out, hands like this into that kind of foot forward, almost on the toe, that classic posed way that we take photos now that I actually feel looks so artificial and so not how my body moves or functions or looks but it was very interesting now that I think about that moment I just did what she said I just thought I'm like oh toe down head and then you know neck forward so you don't see any neck skin or chin skin or whatever it's called and it was it's just it's so interesting this um inability perhaps that we have to being seen as and seeing ourselves in our natural movements mm. it's so it's such a it's such a i was gonna say nuanced it's not nuanced i think it's actually quite um blatant um way that we're conditioned by diet culture and beauty standards to have to be seen as I was going to say those poses are almost always about making us look smaller. Yes. Ah, oh, and I did it. Ah, oh, I, I didn't even think twice. I was like, oh, okay, I guess. Yeah, I'll follow her direction. But yeah, well, and I love your, I, your one of the taglines on your website is exploring self-compassion through self-portraiture. And I mm -hmm. think that is such a beautiful Oh, I just, I, it's so beautiful. I love the idea of us being able to look at photos of ourselves and of others, but I think we're probably mm -hmm. harsher with ourselves would be my, my bet. <laughs> You're nodding. Yeah. Um, and have that self-compassionate gaze. Mm -hmm. I'm really curious about how this dovetails with your being a trauma-informed coach and a certified body trust provider. Like, did you decide to go over both of those to go and get those certifications so that it would, because I see such a beautiful dovetailing with body acceptance photography. Like how do you create a safe as possible space for the people you're photographing? How do you help them through what they're experiencing? Because taking, having photos taken is deeply vulnerable, especially I mean, I've done a boudoir photo shoot and that was probably the most vulnerable thing I've ever done. And being caretaken through that space is so important. And I'm just curious, is that what, why you got those additional certifications? That's a great question. Well, I did, I've been doing this work for, I guess, for like, it's more than a decade now. Wow. And I was just happy being a photographer, both teaching classes and like helping people take their own photo and explore this uh, and also doing photo sessions. And I took the body trust provider program, which is run by the body. Oh, what's their new name? It's be nourished, but they recently changed their, uh, yeah, their name, Dana and Hillary. And I actually did workshops for their uh, body trust provider training, which, uh, does involve a, a lot of therapists, dietitians, and there was yoga teachers. And after I think three, doing three workshops for three <laughs> cohorts for them, I was like, can I take this? I, I need to do this. Why am I not doing this? And I, the only reason I wasn't doing it was because I felt like I didn't fit into those categories. And I had, I wasn't a coach yet at that point. But it was an incredible experience. They have a beautiful framework. And mm -hmm. I love it because it allows you to still be yourself and do your work. It's not something you're adopting and, you know, <laughs> it's like it merges with your, your modality or your approach or your profession. I love that. And I had a, a kid in that time in between starting and finishing that program. So it took me a while. <laughs> um, but by the time I finished it, I was like, I... I want more, you know, you start that learning process. But the, the other piece, which I think I discovered through doing my body trust provider training was that over the years, I noticed people's reactions to photos. And I 
I started to realize it's like this is a trauma response that we're having. People, mm. people who are, you know, often people who come take my classes are therapists who work with people around eating disorders or, you know, or dietitians. It's often people who have a, a large amount of experience and education in the world of this, but they just like everyone else, it doesn't matter. Everyone has the reactions, the same reactions to photos. Not only that, but I don't feel, I feel like we re are having a trauma response to photos in that like, it's a fight or flight reaction, delete it. I want it gone. I don't even want to think about this. So I found people don't even analyze no. their relationships to photos the way I do. I'm just so immersed in it. it like, I can't stop thinking about it. <laughs> yeah. But um, I find that like people won't even, they don't even want to think about it. No. They just want that, that like danger, danger, danger. It's a photo uh, moment to be over. Yeah. And um, yeah. So I was like, Oh, I gotta, I've got to learn more about our, our reactions, our trauma responses and how to support ourselves. Yeah after that happened. So I felt that there was some tools missing in my toolbox around trauma, but also coaching. I, I was just eager to learn more, more skills around deep listening and not having to have the answers for people. That's what I love about coaching because it's really the answers are within you. Uh, and that's been really freeing to learn <laughs> and how to, how to support people. Cause we, when we learn it ourselves, which is something I find in my classes and doing a self-portrait, when you, when I can tell you all about my experience, but it's not your experience. And when you have, when you process your reaction to photos, it, it stays with you. Mm. Unlike somebody else telling you. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's amazing that you noticed a trauma response. Like that's not a word to use lightly. And what's so interesting when we talk to often, we often talk about like trauma-informed coaching or trauma-informed therapy. It's often connected to like someone who perhaps works with people, uh, people who've experienced violence or sexual assault. Like they talk about a trauma-informed approach or like a car accident or medical trauma, or like there's all these different specific types of trauma that people often have experienced. And they, my assumptions, this might be ignorant, you can please correct me, is that it's often like a thing that has happened for a period of time. Whereas almost, I don't know what we call it, like diet culture trauma is a lifetime and then the trigger moment or the activation moment of a photo, like it all coalescing into that moment. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Like, so you notice people immediately want to just ignore it, push it aside. What else do you notice? Like what other reactions have people had or have you experienced people having? They want to push it aside for sure. A lot of freeze flight. Yeah. Yeah. And then not wanting to engage with it at all. And what you just said about diet culture, it is the trauma of being in a society that's fat phobic, that's racist, that's ageist. That's what I see every day in this work is people who, who are having that, um, seeing those things play out in the photo before them. And so what I want to do is help people support themselves in that moment <laughs> calm their, you know, do what they need to do. But we do, we, I think sometimes that can trigger this like cycle of, okay, this has come up in a photo. I'm struggling with what I see. It triggers the diet culture cycle in a way where yeah. it often, you know, it can be a trigger, like a body checking trigger for people in diet culture to, to kind of go back. I think often I hear people say, they have setbacks because um, they, because they're struggling, you know, they would see something in a photo and it just kind of puts them back. So we have to yeah. break the cycle of, yeah. of reacting to the photo oh. in order to, you know, stop to support ourselves. Yeah. And I just don't feel like anyone was talking about it. <laughs> so we don't know what to do. So I'm trying to find my way to, to help people have these tools to, 
Okay. And one of the, one of the funnest ones, uh, which I love, and it's so simple, is when you have that moment of reacting to a photo, first I encourage people to breathe. But once you've kind of offered yourself some self-support, call it out. What is it that's coming, coming to you in that photo? And so I'm often like, hey, fat phobia. <laughs> How are you? There you are. Right? Well, Naming it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So even just verbalizing uh, what it is that you're seeing. Because when we're having a trauma response, we're not in our thinking part of our brain. Mm-hmm. And so we often need to offer ourselves something to get us back to our, <laughs> our, our ability to really not just be in that physical reactive mode. So it may be going to get some food. Uh, maybe, you know, sometimes with, I encourage photo walks as a practice. So it might just be putting your camera down and looking around you and grounding. Mm-hmm. But then when you feel able to returning to the photo and, and, noticing like breaking that cycle of always thinking it's our own fault uh when we react to a photo Um, we internalize it so externalize shame and blame Mm. yeah say because like i'm getting i'm in my mid-40s there is like there's there's a shift (laughs) happening and so i'm calling it ageism more like Mm -hmm. Allowed to have wrinkles, Vivian. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Call out what it is, and and still, you know, fifteen years into this practice for me, fat phobia appears far less than it used to, but it does find its way in there. Ugh. It's not, well, you know, it's not we something we do once and it's done. <laughs> no, yeah. that'd be great, but no, <laughs> no. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so interesting. You're making me think about so many things because I'm imagining, I'm just thinking about like when I did my boudoir photo shoot, which was such a, it was such a moment of reclamation. Like it really was kind of, I guess maybe a year into my, my body love, my body acceptance journey. And, um, it felt really it felt I knew it felt important to do and then and so I did it and the process was actually a lot of fun although I did get oh my gosh my family was like are you gonna post those online don't you know the internet's forever I'm like yes and yes I do know thank you um so they had to you know they had some of their own reckoning to do and I was pretty good about I got upset for like half an hour and I was like no you know what that's their shit not mine Um, but I will say when I was looking at the photos and and it's interesting, I remember looking at them for the first time. And now when I look at them, I'm like, God damn. But at the time, so this is like, I don't know, four or five years ago, I think, um, I still had, I remember having certain photos, certain poses that showed maybe a little more of a little more cellulite or a little more of a role or a little more of like the, I don't know, like. I don't know the the non-positioned way of of having the photo presented um and being confronted with that feeling as well and it was it was like well those that's not making the final cut put that into the not saving pile you know and really wanting to again it's just like I think I keep coming back in my mind to this word of like filtering I had all the let's say I had 100 images and I filtered 70 of them so I only kept the 30 and those 30 were the ones that are kind of conventionally attractive by, Mm -hmm. you know, diet culture standards. And so I feel like what so much of what you're inviting is to remove that filter and to Mm -hmm. really, like when you say, put the camera down, step into the frame and just move your body. Mm -hmm. Oh, like that's (laughs) exciting and scary. I can feel the fear of that. Even, Mm -hmm. even myself just now thinking about doing that. Yes. Yeah. And it's also so beautiful that you did the boudoir shoot. And I think mm. just getting ourselves in front of the lens, be it somebody else's or our own, yeah. is the is the shift we need to start with. Yeah. And if that at first is embracing conventionally beautiful photos of your incredible fat body, 
that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if that's, I feel like there's a comfort zone in, yeah. in this practice that, um, that we might need to, even though we know intellectually all, all the things about diet culture, it, yeah. if we need to still just embrace um, the conventional photos at first, that gets us in the practice. And then, you know, maybe looking back later at the other photos and expanding that comfort zone. Yeah. But if we make it, I must embrace all photos, <laughs> uh, that's, we're going we're gonna to find ourselves frustrated. Yeah. And, and yeah. Yeah. That's such good advice. Like it doesn't, I, I'm always like, a, I will do it all immediately. And this is actually like, no, no, hang on. Like, let's, let's take some steps. Cause now, even when you said that, I was like, oh yeah. About two years ago, I did a photo, um, cause of a friend and artist asked, Hey, I'd like to make digital art out of your body. Would you take some photos in like a bra and underwear? And so I got my husband to like take some photos and they were, they were not posed. It was lots of beautiful roles and movement. And, <laughs> and I was so thrilled to send those to her and she made a beautiful piece of digital art about it. And then actually she did my um, most recent photos for my website and I said, you know, my next edge, and I actually was able to talk to her about it, which again, wouldn't have happened if I hadn't done all these like other steps. I said, you know, can I really want to take a photo with like my belly showing, not the baby doll shirt that is gently skimming over <laughs> my belly. I was like, I want to show it. And so she said, great, tuck it in, tuck your shirt in and let's just, just take photos of like your full belly. And I was like, yeah. And that was, that was my edge. And this is, that was, I don't know, like four or five months ago. And so I'm super curious what my next edge will be. It might be naked. It might be, she does naked photos at the beach, like on a private beach. So that might be it. That might be, we'll see, we'll see. I'll report back. But I like, I can actually, when you say that I, I hadn't really put it together for, I can really see the trajectory of me getting more and more comfortable with engaging with my body as it is through the lens of photos. And it was that over the past, I mean, years, it's been years mm -hmm. to where I could tuck a shirt in and show my belly in a photo. And that gets to be okay. Cause that's the process, right? Is that yeah. how we heal trauma? Is that what we're talking about here? Yes. Yeah. And I think that's, so in terms of the trauma response, we see photos as a danger zone. And so yeah. doing this practice, whatever kind of your years of trajectory is, whether, whether it's like looking at photos of diverse bodies for a long time, to slowly teach ourselves that we are not in danger in a photo. <laughs> it's not going to hurt us. Uh, fat phobia will hurt us. Uh, racism will hurt us. Um, ageism will hurt us. But the actual photo is very neutral. Um, and so, so yes, yeah, slowly what happens is we normalize how what we see in photos and seeing our body as a whole. And we lessen that, that reaction. Mm. we realize it's uh, we start to experience neutrality in photos. Uh, and by that, I mean like just you might've experienced it in many of these photos where you look at your body and you're not having those immediate reactions or, um, you know, narrowing a view of like focusing on one body part where you can mm -hmm. just start to see there's my body. <laughs> Period. You know, and I get that from intuitive eating in a way that, you know, I've pulled lots of things and, and give shout outs to them because it I was learning about intuitive eating and thinking about how when you stop seeing food as good food or bad food, it just becomes food. And I remember being like, that's what's happened in photos. That's the exact language I needed was when you stop only looking or categorizing, um, oh there I got a good photo or my body looks good. Yeah. And then the on the other end, like Oh, that's a bad photo. I see cellulite. I see my belly. Um, when we stop, when we work on stopping to put things into those categories, and that's often, you know, through noticing that we're doing it and trying to let that go. Um, we, what happens is you get to start to see, there's my body. Yeah. Period. End of sentence. <laughs> you know, it, and it does. Yeah. And neutrality, I like to describe in terms of our relationship to photos 
as very underwhelming. It's not like a parade <laughs> that you're getting or a race you're getting to the final. You know, there's balloons and celebrating body love. And it's actually the absence of critical thought in a photo. So and this is when people kind of work with me in classes, especially, they start to have these moments where after taking lots of photos or maybe doing shoots with people um, where you just see your body period without those filters that you were mentioning, you know, they are these filters of um, that we've been taught to see ourselves through, through the media we take in through toxic body standards, through all of these things. Um, It's yeah, it's taking the filters away, but it's, it's kind of underwhelming. (laughs) You probably might notice like, Two weeks later, I took that photo with my friend and I didn't try to hide my body. I didn't try to hide behind them. I didn't really even have a reaction to it. Sometimes it's something we're not going to notice at the time. It's just, it's subtle. Yeah. It's it's like, I had no thoughts about it at all. Yes. Yeah. Or you, you know, oh, well, I like that photo, but you didn't, you know, narrow in on your arms or your belly or whatever you struggle with. So, um, yeah, it, often we don't notice at the time. <laughs> yeah, I'm so glad you said that because that's so true. I had a moment like that when I realized I had stopped and I don't even know when because I had noticed I had stopped doing calorie math or points math Ooh. or carbs math in my head. Yes. And it was like, oh, I haven't I haven't done that in, I don't know, maybe a couple of days. And it was just, again, it's funny. It is, it's, it is underwhelming. I think that's such yes. a great word for it. <laughs> And like one of the biggest gifts at the same time. Mm. So to be able to just look at a photo and just be like, yeah, that's me. And that gets to be it. End of sentence. That's amazing. And on, you know, when you think about this, like less calorie thought, less (laughs) all the things that diet culture steals from us, um, less thinking about movement as something we need to do to deserve food or any of these things and less like worrying about photos. Yeah. There's room for more fat joy. Right. <laughs> right. And I often, you know, near the end of a class, I'm like, so we're letting go of these things. Like, what do you want to do? And almost always it is swimming. People want to go swimming. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. You know, like what, when you have more room in your life, what do you want to do? And it, it's almost always go to the yeah. pool yeah. or put on a bathing suit. It involves, almost always involves bathing suits oh. or, or naked, like, skinny dipping in in a lake (laughs) oh it's so good I love that there's so much joy there wow they're better like symbolism for fat joy and letting go and then like skinny dipping yeah (laughs) Yeah, it's so true I hear that I have spent years hearing that from my clients like what's the one Mm -hmm. thing you really wish you could do swim with my kid it's like oh be in the family photo, not being the only one taking, not insisting I be the one to take the photos. Like Uh it's just, there is, there's something really powerful about how diet culture teaches us to not be seen unless we meet certain standards. And here's the irony, the most ridiculous thing, you know, the people who quote unquote meet the standards also still feel the same way. So no one is meeting these ridiculous standards. Everyone is hiding. And then yeah, it just to be able to let all that go and to just be in our bodies to allow ourselves to be seen, to not hold our own internalized judgments around that. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is oh, the space that comes with that. I, you know, when you were talking earlier, Vivian, it, you, I was really thinking about how readily it was that word filters, how in a way insistent our culture is on filters. Like, think about every social media platform zoom now even you can like touch up your face you know where it like smooths out your face on zoom um and that's like for for work Uh, again i shouldn't be surprised i shouldn't be surprised but i'm like come on and there was there was an article i read recently about how and again it's so connected to ageism as well right this idea of how we're all putting filters on our faces and that's what we're seeing so we are now acculturating our brain our brain is no longer able to accept process like faces that have 
lines, faces that have wrinkles, faces that have droopiness, because everyone is filtering. Yeah. I, I was just like, oh my God, we're totally messing with our own ability to be in the world and see what we see. Yes. Yeah. I just, it just adds to the work of, of healing how we, I, I, I'm thinking about how I feel like in a, our kind of bubble of the internet world, I don't feel like a lot of people are filtered, but I can only imagine outside of, you know, those who talk about fat liberation and body acceptance is like, Oh, everyone's filtered. So filtered. They are. They are still. Yeah. Yeah. Like my, I have so many friends that I follow, friends, acquaintances, Mm -hmm. you know, social Instagram friends who I follow and they do their stories and they're all wearing filters. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, why, why, why are you wearing a filter? Like take off the mask. Yeah. Some phones automatically do this. Like a friend of mine, Mm. why is she always filtering your photo and I remember her saying once like alongside a photo I don't know how to take this filter off it just came this way so (laughs) wow yeah then I think you hit a point of reckoning where you get hungry to see people real faces uh, see real faces and then you probably look for that more and thankfully we still walk around in the world and see people's real faces. (laughs) Although, but you know, again, it's so interesting because again, what I've really noticed is makeup trends have changed so that like people are presenting with a lot more, um, like all the contouring and the, the quite thick makeup approach now where everything is almost highly artificialized, like drawing in the brows. And it, I just, I'm noticing it a lot with younger people. So like, if I go through a drive-through, I really notice it because that's, I guess, I mean, I have young ones at home, but they're not quite at that stage yet. So people like, I, I'm really noticing it on um, all, all genders in their twenties, like a lot of, of, what's the word, like constructing perhaps construction of the face they present in the world. And I kind of love it. I kind of really love the, the, the creativity and the choice that's involved there. But also I really wonder if it is also coming from this mm-hmm. mm, expectation. Yeah. Like what's the tension there? There's something there that is, mm-hmm. yeah. We don't look like what we look like on photos. So I could see the draw. Yeah. Yeah. young folks to do that but hopefully you know they'll be like oh this is an underlying thing that I feel like <laughs> I'm just gonna have joyful makeup <laughs> I'm just gonna like you know do it my way so yeah well and it makes me wonder when you do when you do take photos of people um is there do you ha- I'm just so I'm actually so curious I don't know the answer do you say I will not do touch-ups oh yes yeah I don't I don't draw I mean, the, the kind of photos I, I don't do touch-ups, kind of photos I put out there, I think people come to me without that expectation. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. I don't necessarily do, do boudoir largely because there are so many incredible people out there who do it. Yeah. But also because I, both in my classes and people taking photos of themselves and in my portrait work, I see such value in just seeing our bodies, like our ordinary, wonderful, uh, maybe not everyday bodies with like in, in a lot of what happens when we take photos of ourselves in a class is like, you can't take fancy photos every day. Some days you just show up as yourself. And that's so healing to see your morning yeah. hair in a photo. Yeah. <laughs> in, in back to the portraits though. Um, yeah. I don't, I don't touch up. And I don't think people come to me with that expectation. I will, though, things unrelated to um, to your body. Like, for this is such a fun example. Uh, I was doing a photo shoot with an incredible therapist, and she it started to snow, and <laughs> it was like such a powerful session. But slowly, we got like little flecks of snow in her hair. So I oh, did yeah. process every little bit of snow out of there because I didn't want it to look like. Uh, like dandruff or something. Yeah, exactly. Affect her experience of seeing her incredible self, but but no retouching of bodies. Um, I feel a bit grateful that my path in photography didn't go down certain roads mm. where I was. Uh, 
I hear of other photographers who are very inundated by like, you must process. I didn't, I know how to do it, but I never, never did it for clients and had to stop myself. I've just always just enjoyed seeing, seeing people's selves and faces. And so Mm. that might mean, and I also don't pose people in a way to make them look smaller. So I think people come to me when they're ready for those kind of photos yeah. uh, to see their embodied posed self. But I think, yeah, I think people come to me when they're ready for that kind of photo, but also, yeah, it, I do get a lot of reactions. Like that's what I actually look like. <laughs> you know, sometimes when we're trying to put ourselves in and when we're, we're Photoshopped or when we, or overly posed, or if the photographer has their own idea of what we should look like, yeah. um, then I think <laughs> sometimes you get back and you're like, that's not me. Great. Right. So I just try to get photos that make you feel like you. Yeah. And help, help you feel. A lot of people are coming to me when they want to like put themselves out in the world and be more visible. So help them shine in their work or um, yeah. help them not hide behind an avatar or quotes on an Instagram feed. (laughs) Sorry to call out a bunch (laughs) of people there, but that's... (laughs) I love that. That that is a lot of what we do. (laughs) Yeah. I just, I'm so struck by how wonderful it would be to be seen through your eyes, Mm -hmm. you know, and your camera. Like, I feel like you get to be a real mirror and a channel for people because you're seeing them that way. You're empowering them to see themselves that way. Like I just, I, that, I feel very moved by that. Oh, thank so you. It's like that witnessing you get to help people. You witness people, which in turns help them witness themselves. Yes. Yeah. And I have to do work to make sure that I am, I am uh, um, a neutral witness. Yeah. You know, I had to get to a certain place in my own healing that I am not going to look at a photo and judge somebody else's body. And the practice of like processing a photo session is so joyful. And I know sometimes photos might be challenging for people. Um, Especially, you know, the way I I don't really pose people. I just ask them to move their way. Um, But they are truly coming from a place of love with me uh, and seeing their incredible body through the lens and their incredible selves. And um, so I really feel like I, I provide that neutral space where people can feel safe. But when they're also, whereas where they can also feel, um, yeah, that I'm seeing them without judgment. Mm-hmm. And if I do see their body with judgment, that's my, my crap. But I, I don't really, it's, it's like, it feels like a very sacred place when I'm processing photos. Yeah. It's like, wow. Oh, you're amazing. And <laughs> we have outtakes. We have outtakes when we take photos. We have outtakes when in a photo session, there's photos I'm not going to send you because you're kind of blinking. And you yeah. don't need that photo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm just looking for the ones that, that, um, that help you shine, that your radiance comes through. Um, but not looking through a lens of like, which are the 20 photos where you look the smallest. That's the last, yes. Of my, yes. the last of my, which photography world is inundated by. We've done a lot of damage in this, in the photography community, which is, Yeah. I never felt a part of it. (laughs) I never felt like I never, never really fit in until I found more body acceptance peers who are not photographers. But, and I think it's largely because I didn't like, yeah, this is some weird world where (laughs) we're all competing to get the best photo and we're trying to make, put people into boxes. It almost felt like the way people photograph a, a model or a subject like was irrelevant of who they were. It's all about our creative vision and um, posing them like they're a mannequin. And that just feels horrible to me. Uh, You know what I mean? It's like totally like Like it's in a way, it's a way of dehumanizing. It sounds like. Yes. Yes. That's yeah. yeah, I've never really articulated that. So thank you for saying the the dehumanizing because that is what it, it, what it was like. Yeah. It felt, uh, yeah, it, it felt not okay. And so what I like to do and what I, and see many other photographers doing is like yeah, humanizing <laughs> uh, and helping people feel seen. And um, mm. yeah. So the, the experience mm. of, of getting your photo taken, whether it's by me or someone else, like should feel like a safe space 
mm-hmm. should feel trauma informed, should feel um, like it's about you, not <laughs> who yeah. they're trying to make you look like. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, oh, <laughs> I love everything you're saying. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I want, I'm wondering if like, so I, cause I can, I'm feeling so inspired. I can imagine a lot of people listening are feeling inspired. <laughs> what if someone's like, okay, I want to do mm-hmm. one thing. What, what would you invite them to do to kind of just take a next step in this journey for themselves using portraiture as self-compassion? Yeah. Um, what I would encourage somebody to do is go for a photo walk or look around your room right now. And notice something that draws you in. And what I think part of the challenge we have with photos is we see a selfie as just an arm's length photo of our face mm-hmm. from a certain angle, likely higher. Oh, absolutely. It's <laughs> um, <is> like <laughs> typical. So I think when, when you're asked to take a photo, that's what you think you have to do. And you already have a million things of what that needs to look like, what angle. So I would say don't take a photo of your face. Mm. <laughs> Start uh, with your feet emerging in the frame with that heart-shaped leaf you just found on the ground or flower petal, you know, like find a little joy around you, whether it's an item in your room that feels like you or something out in nature, the way the lights filtering through a leaf and like put your hand up to it. Um, And these, these are really moments. Find a moment in your day um, where there's just a little spark and invite like your feet or, your hand um or you know I often like if you want to take a photo of your face go for it and like put your hands on your heart and see what feels like you um so I like to just break it of the box of of um taking a selfie um because that's what I do with people is like we we don't actually start with uh, arms I think we day seven we of my 30-day class we finally take a fake selfie <laughs> um because uh, there's so many other ways to express yourself through the lens. Um, or like take a photo in the mirror when you're in your towel after having a shower. Um, yeah. Or whatever kind of moment strikes you when you think about it. So that's not like a specific one, but that's um, great to, to break you. I think it helps uh, demystify what taking a photo would be like, like just a little moment of your life today. Yeah. And these aren't necessarily to post. This is like for ourselves. That's the other thing. Cause immediately I was like, Oh, heart shaped leaf. Great for Insta. Like that's immediately where my mind went. Yes. And what you're actually saying is these, these are actually for ourselves. Yes. And there's something sacred about that. There's something special. Yeah. One of my mottos is take your selfie for yourself. And whether or not (laughs) what's so powerful is whether or not you share it. When you take it for yourself, when you take it for others, for Instagram, you immediately have expectations around it. Yeah. And you're looking for external validation for it. Oh, and taking 100%. it percent is internal validation. It's oh. how do you feel about it? And even in the act of I, those descriptions I just said, like those are moments where you're internally having an experience or you're struck by something um, or inspired. And so when we take our selfie for ourselves. We may share it <laughs> down the road or later today, but we're not taking it. We already know how we feel about it. So if we do share it, it's a perk if people um, have a response to it, but it's not uh, the whole experience, no matter what we have, how we feel about it. And that changes everything. You know, I talk about how selfie and selfies and social media are not the same thing. You can take a selfie for yourself. You can do this whole trajectory and practice and never share anything and it's just as valuable um and yeah that's really pivotal that that we're doing it for ourselves because the the other the outside world will always have mixed opinions (laughs) yeah yeah oh I feel so inspired to go on a photo (laughs) walk I love this I love this Oh, so much beautiful information. Um, I am really curious. I feel like you probably live from a place of joy, but I'm going to ask the question yeah. anyway. <laughs> um, what does bring you joy? How do you stay connected to joy? How do you orient towards it? Especially when 
There are a lot of hard things. Diet culture is still so pervasive. You mentioned you're starting to call it ageism even more. So, which means that you're seeing it a lot more. So (laughs) how do you stay connected to joy and not get overwhelmed by all the systemic oppression that we experience? Well, I mean, one of the answers is this practice of, I am, of taking photos. Um, Because I, when I go on a photo walk, I'm not looking for an outcome. I don't know what any sort of photo is going to be that I get, whether it's of me or of the world around me. And it's a truly joyful practice in my life. Um, So taking photos, but you know, the other thing that came to mind was dancing with my daughter (laughs) is uh, she's three and she's really into dancing and moving. And so I, I'm really loving uh, the, the way that it dancing with a kid asks you to not move a certain way. It's almost like a relearning of body movement when you're like, she's watching. <laughs> if I'm doing moves, she's going to do the moves. So I am going to let my body be the freest it can be. Um, oh, right. So it's, it's a really fun thing to just like, let it loose. I did a lot of dance in the past and that was a really uh, a joyful part of my life. I have to try to get back there someday, but, um, so just feeling embodied through dance is, uh, a way I access joy. And, you know, these are creative mediums, but they do help us uplift ourselves in a, as like the whole, they do help us feel more resilient in moments when diet culture is coming down on us. So I don't necessarily dance it out when I'm having those moments (laughs) of, of like, diet culture looming on me that I, I do feel like these, the camera and like dance are a really powerful way to um, reclaim our bodies and reclaim ourselves and, and be stand strong in, um, in our sense of self too. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, I love that. And yes, to dancing with a three-year-old, I hadn't thought about, <laughs> yeah, about how important it would be to be loose so that they have permission to move uh-huh. their body in whatever way is joyful for them as well. Huh. And not be constrained by our constraint. Like I'm just, oh, it's so interesting. Huh. Yeah. Uh, there are all these really beautiful like mediums to, to explore. Uh, I definitely am thinking about like, uh, trying to make sure I'm not moving in a way that is teaching her yeah. how body should be. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. This has been such a wonderful conversation, Vivian. Thank you. I'm, yeah, I just, I feel like I've learned so much. Cool. I appreciate that. Yeah. I, I often feel like I overwhelm people. I have so much to share. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. Bring it, bring it. Just like revisiting a, a photo to see what else there is to learn from it. Uh, maybe sometime you'll re-listen to this if you heard it and we're like, I'm not ready for that subject yet. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, thank you. Well, and if I'm ever out in Victoria, I am definitely going to book a session with you because that would be so wonderful (laughs) to have that experience. So thank you so much. I'll include all your links and everything in the show notes so people can connect with you and follow you. Um, I'm really grateful. Thank Thank you. you. I'm so grateful too. Before we go, I'd like to read a poem because poetry can reach our hearts in a different way. Poems can have us feel in a different way. And that's what this podcast is about, expanding our hearts, deepening our empathy, and inviting in joy. So each week, you get a new poem. It's time for another beautiful poem. This one is called The Way It Is, and it's by Rosemary Watola Traumer. And I chose it for Vivian McMaster's episode because like how Vivian sees past the surface of the people she photographs, this poem invites us to look deeper and then contemplate what may emerge when we do. So here it is. Over and over, we break open. We break and we break and we open. For a while, we try to fix the vessel, as if to be broken is bad, as if with glue and tape and a steady hand, we might bring things to perfect again. 
as if they were ever perfect, as if to be broken is not also perfect, as if to be open is not the path towards joy. The vase that's been shattered and cracked will never hold water. Eventually, it will leak. And at some point, perhaps, we decide that we're done with picking our flowers anyway and no longer need a place to contain them. We watch them grow just as wild flowers do, unfenced, unmanaged, blossoming only when they're ready. And my God, how beautiful they are amidst the mounting pile of shards. Thank you for joining me today. My hope is that you're feeling a little less alone and a little more seen. So until the next episode, you can find me on Instagram at fatjoy.life, on the website at www.fatjoy.life, and on Patreon at patreon.com slash fatjoy. Please don't forget to check out the show notes for how you can connect with my amazing guest and for the links to the poem. All right, lovely. I am sending you off with my wishes for an abundantly fat joy day. Talk again soon.